You're listening to the Retail Perch with Shaker Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Retail Perch. We took a week off there in between, uh, just catching a breath. I think we had nonstop a bunch of episodes, and Stephanie was just over her head. So, but by the way, uh, today we have Stephanie in the room with us because uh, Gary has had to take care of some business. How are you doing, Stephanie? I am wonderful today, Shaker. Thank you. Terrific. And of course, you guys know at the Retail Perch, we discuss everything related to supermarket, grocery, technology, trends, challenges, and anything else that we think is remotely connected to it. And uh, today we happen to have a very interesting guest with us, Stephanie. And, you know, probably a first, you know, we love having industry people on this podcast because we get a different perspective on things. And I think they're obviously uh, in a vantage position where they're able to look out a little further. And I think this will be super useful for our listeners here. So Stephanie, you want to welcome Brandon here to the show? Sure. I would love to welcome Brandon. Brandon is actually the president and CEO of Wisconsin Grocers Association, but he has an interesting start. He started in government and public affairs. And I believe he's still involved in that. So it'll be interesting to hear how Brandon went from that to the WGA. And also Brandon recently had his own event. So I'm looking forward to hearing about that and how that went. So Brandon, you want to tell us a little bit about your background and and how you got started, how you ended up in grocery? (laughs) Yeah, as the Grateful Dead said, it's what a long, strange trip it's been. I've been here just around 24 years or so, and I'm very fortunate to work for this industry and work for grocers who, as you know, are kind of the, the main pillar of strength on Main Street and small businesses and large cities anywhere across our state here in Wisconsin and across the country. And you're right, Stephanie, I started in politics, actually, and, and kind of morphed into government affairs and, and then into business. And I always wanted to run an association. It was just something I wanted to do. And I had a friend of mine tell me association work is 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 pretty good, especially if you can get it. And the secret there is that people that get into these jobs, i.e., like me, stay here for a long time. So the openings are few and far between. But I was fortunate that the Wisconsin Grocers Association was looking for a new CEO, and I applied. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be hired. I think my selling point, because I my only retail experience at that time was that I was the assistant night and weekend manager for a convenience store. Which That's means what I, I was had, looking for. Where yeah, was, I had, where did it I had the Schleck job. I worked Friday night, Saturday night, and I opened up Sunday morning in time to get the papers unbundled going <laughs> through the change of the sidewalk. And the other the other great selling point was I like groceries. So, you know, that was that was a big point. But I, I was very lucky to be hired. But over the course of this job, have been even luckier to have learned from our members so much about this industry, how they operate, what their mindset is, what their passion and, and, and commitment is to the industry, their employees, their customers. And it's just been a it's just been a fabulous experience. I learned something every single day from, from our members and people in the industry. So I just continue to enjoy this job and we just look for ways to try and help uh, the members of the Wisconsin Grocers Association run their businesses better, support them where we can. We can talk about what happened during COVID, pre-COVID, COVID, and now. But all the things that we do are really designed to support in one way or another what we can do to help our members. 
Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, Brandon, you know, I know we were. I was at the NGA. I don't know if you were at the NGA show in Vegas. Did you make? I had to, I had to miss it this year because <laughs> because of a workforce issue. Our marketing coordinator okay. quit one morning, walked out, and it was a couple weeks before our show. So, I wasn't going to the NGA show this year. Got it, got it. But you know, one of the topics of conversation. I think this has generally been the topic of conversation the last couple of months. Is of course you know, workforce, right? Uh, labor shortages and uh, supply chain issues and rising prices. And I think it's been a lot of top of a lot of uh, people's minds. And in fact, a lot of the requests we get even for byline articles and contributions to uh, media are around that topic because everybody's trying to read the crystal ball here in terms of, you know, what is going on, what's causing this and what's the way out. And from your vantage point, where you look at, you know, kind of like an interface between government and industry. Now, what do you see, Brandon? You know, this this is it's it's a conundrum, and it's it's not a it's not a short term solvable problem because it's a mindset of those people who have decided not to work. Now, whether it's because they had you know, a year, a year and a half benefits uh, to support unemployment, rent, whatever it was they were getting from the state and federal government, um, it it. it built in this idea that you don't have to go to work. I mean, you're, you know, you get paid, you know, benefits to not work. That kind of created that mindset. Now that we're in a, in a transition in the pandemic, where we still have it, we still have people who are getting infected, still getting sick. We're still taking all the precautions that were taken during the height of the pandemic. But getting people to say, yep, I want to go back to work is a problem. And there's, there's nobody that can really change that mindset except those people who cho- have chosen not to work. Now, we see people who, uh, one story a grocer shared with me was that they were interviewing people to come back to work. And this, this person came into the store and said, okay, sure, I'll come back to work. I want $18 an hour, just Monday through Friday. And, and no management stuff. I'm not doing any management stuff, okay? Well, I asked, did you offer to pick them up and bring them to work and take them home after their shift? You know, when when you're looking for people to come back to work, and granted, grocers are paying more per hour, paying more on salary, paying more benefits, like every other industry in this country are trying to do more to incent people to come back to work. There still is this hesitation. Now, some people want to say, well, it's a public transportation problem. I don't know about you, but I see plenty of buses running around the street. Some people say it's a child care issue where both parents, you know, have been home for so long, now going back to work, trying to put their kid into daycare, is that a problem? And, you know, I understand that, but there are solutions because people found solutions in 2019 before the pandemic hit. So we've got to come back to finding solutions to help people. But the bottom line is they've got to want to come back to work and, and, you know, they're going to, people are going to hold out until they can get that $18 an hour job where they don't have to do anything or more. Until that mindset changes, we're going to have continued problems, not only in the grocery industry, but in hardware and shoe stores, you name any any component of retail, as well as manufacturing and production. You might as well add agriculture and every other industry into that. We all need people to come back to work. There's just simply no way we're going to change what you see on the store shelves today. You see big gaps. You see, you know, one, one column of juice full on the shelves, the other empty. You can find that in every category in the store where they're just simply not getting product. And 
And people ask, well, why is that? Why? It was there last week. It was there two weeks ago. Why is it not there today? And people are, are you know, I think there's some uh, interest in what, why does that happen? And they, they start to hear these supply chain stories. Never really understanding what supply chain stories or what the supply chain is. Because one of my grocery members said, we always took the supply chain for granted. It was efficient. It was effective. We put our order in. Stuff showed up. Our DSD guys came in. They stocked the shelves. We were good to go. And the and the supply chain was tweaked. Every, you know, every bit along the way to make it run better, run faster, be more efficient, delivery on time, and it benefited everybody. But when it broke down, it broke down because of the workforce. The whole thing it didn't collapse. It's still there, but it's on crutches. And so when you get sixty or seventy percent of your order show up at the, at the dock, you know, you shelve it and do the best you can to face it on the shelves, but you're really sitting there going, this is the best I got. And your customers, fortunately, during COVID, learned flexibility, learned substitution, learned to change their shopping patterns to accommodate what they were offered, but still not necessarily happy about it. So we're fortunate in that they've been through some of this before and they can continue to try and do it. But, you know, it's only going to last for so long, you know, um, the other thing that drives is people start to have this fear, I guess. I don't want to call it fear, but there's concern that do we have a food shortage. Well, no, we don't have a food shortage. We have plenty of food in this country. We make plenty of food. We store plenty of food. We still have, to, even though our shelves are not what they were, we're still donating tons of food to Feeding America, Second Harvest, food pantries and food banks. So we have plenty of food in this country, but it's getting it to retail through the supply chain that is our most difficult challenge today. Do you think grocers are doing enough as far as employment marketing? Like, are they making, are they letting people know, like you said, there's there's more than just bagging groceries available. Are they making it appeal, you know, maybe before they didn't have to work so hard to to appear appealing, but are they doing enough to let people know that there's some benefits to working here? Great question, because in the past, you put a sign up, help wanted, put an advertisement, help wanted, do this, do this, do that. I, I think you're going to see some some change to that when we start talking about careers, because it's more than it's more than coming in and making, you know, 875 as a banker. You know, you've got to look at this as, OK, if I come in, and I start here, where can I go here? Can I move up the ladder? Can I eventually become, you know, can I run a department, a category? How, how do I grow in this business? Or do I just come in and work, and then when you offer me nine and a quarter, I just I just you know flip and go to your and go to your business? And I think we're going to go through that big resignation stage if we're not in it already, where people find twenty five cents an hour more and then they go. So I think you know companies, businesses, whether they're grocers or others, will start to appeal to people's long range needs, and that is careers. Uh, there's no reason to, to job hop. Because if you get into a place and you do a good job, there's a future for you. You'll make good money. You'll have good benefits. You work in a friendly atmosphere, a nice place to be. And, and that's where I think you're going to have to sell this uh, to bring people in. But there's also, I, I'm just not certain who the, who the chief salesperson is to say, you need to come back to work. Because <laughs> you hear politicians and others talk about, we've got to grow our economy. We've got to make our economy stronger. We've got to build it back. It all starts with the workforce. You can have the best run company and if nobody shows up in the morning to work, 
you're not a best run company. And it's it's not just the grocery industry. It's it's everybody up and down the line. It's a bank, an insurance company, farmers, growers, manufacturers, grocers. We're all in the same boat. And until those people come back to work, until we can entice them to come back to work, we're gonna be we're gonna be like this for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I was out of town for a day last weekend with my wife, and we were visiting a little town in Maryland. And most of the restaurants were closed on Monday and Tuesday, and uh, it's because they can't find people to come into work, or they have limited staff, and they're you know they're only open from eleven to three, and then five to nine. I mean, they have all these crazy hours that they never had before. <laughs> And this is having a difficult time getting people back in to even work, right? And uh, I wonder if, you know, I know technology, you know, we talk about technology a lot on this podcast and, you know, we've brought this topic up a couple of times where, you know, there's a vacuum that's obviously been created in terms of productivity and, and operations, right? And we, I wonder if technology is uh, try and fill in that vacuum to some degree to automate more processes and whether people will find themselves disadvantaged because their jobs have now been taken over by a machine by necessity. Well, you've, you've hit on a point that is, that is growing more and more in the grocery industry and, and then also in other industries. At some point, businesses can't hold back. I'm seeing more and more stores taking out more checkout lanes and putting in self-checkouts rather than two self-checkouts, it's four or it's six or it's half their lanes. I know of one really, really large independent in the state that just drives people to self-checkout. They might, they might have one checkout person for 12 lanes, but then have all of their checkouts available for self-checkout and somebody monitoring it. And they don't have a choice. That's not because they don't want people in their stores. Everybody loves to have employees in their stores at the checkout. Did you find everything you want? How's your day-to-day? You want paper or plastic? Everybody loves that, that personal touch. But at some point, you have to be able to figure out how to run your stores and keep people moving through the checkout lines. And that means a little bit more automation. Uh, grocery store, it's pretty much a checkout. But there could be things in the back room and others that, that could change. Certainly, you see some of the more some of the bigger warehouse and suppliers going to a significant, you know, uh, automatic and, and robot situations where they're packing and stocking crates. Some of these places are just simply amazing the way they do it. And at some point, somebody may walk in looking for that job and it may no longer be there because it's going to be replaced by a different, uh, a different way to achieve the end goal, whether it's automation, a robot, the consolidation of, you know, responsibilities. Those things are going to change. And then somebody's going to complain, well, I, I want to work now. You don't have the job. Well, at some point, we got to move on. And as much as you'd like to be able to have a full workforce, if it's not going to happen, you can't sit and wait for something to happen. You're going to have to make those changes. That, that's just a fact of life. Do you find, Brandon, that the company, you know, grocers, especially who haven't kind of paid as much attention to technology, you know, what's been happening are suddenly now in the throes of having to think about innovation like they never, ever thought about before? Fortunately, and the answer is yes. But I think I think a lot of those folks uh, caught that wind way back in April or May of 2020 when they may not have had their systems and platforms up to speed to do online order and delivery, home delivery, or curbside. And, and there were there were plenty of them out there. They just hadn't got to it. It was still only for you know a lot of uh, grocers, maybe one, two, three percent of their business. It wasn't it wasn't a lot yet, but it was growing. 
the pandemic obviously changed that and doubled and quadrupled and sent you know online orders into the 20% of your business and, and more. And even though it's declined back into the teens somewhere, every market's different, it's still now a major function of a store, whether you have a, was in a store several weeks ago where they have a, they, they have a drive up, uh, almost a drive up on the side of the store, door opens, here you go, you know, kind of like a fast food joint. Um, they're building lockers in the front of the store, kiosk operations, all the things you've heard about where customers can come and pick up their groceries curbside. And so for many of those, they kind of said, well, we got to do something, do something quick. And so they, they found ways to build an online system, maybe not as sophisticated, but a way to at least accommodate their customers. That's continued to grow. And, and I think people's eyes are open to it and they, they're looking to see how they can make that work in their business. Certainly in, in the rural parts of the state, the smaller communities, it's a one-store operation. You may or may not have the most sophisticated online ordering system you've seen. But, you know, as you get into competitive markets, you, you have to be there. So I think that was an eye-opener. I think the other issue, and we had this in our show as part of our educational program, is cybersecurity. More and more and more people are finally waking up like, holy cow, I better, have, I better do something about this, you know. Um, one of our presenters from a retail security association said, in some cases, and not necessarily just grocery, but the average number of days that a business could be shut down is 23 days until they pay the, the ransomware. Just think of, you know, if, if your show was canceled for 23 days because you didn't pay whatever Bitcoin amount they wanted. That's, that's you know, that hurts. Just think of a grocery store where you're running hundreds of people through your store a day and all of a sudden you're shut down. You have loyal customers and they'll, they'll eventually come back. But, you know, for those 23 days, they got to go buy groceries someplace. And so the answer to your question is yes, I think they're becoming more savvy. But I also am constantly reminded of how much is on a grocer's plate and how very little their customers know. And there's nothing wrong. With that. That's, that's the way it should be. Customers come to the store. They have their list. Hopefully, they, you know, they grab a cart. They fill it. They check out. Hopefully, in three minutes, and they go home. A very uneventful but successful shopping experience. I love taking legislators and, and my friends from the media and any other anybody else I could take on tours of a store with the retailer and have them explain what it is they have to do, whether it's compliance with federal laws, compliance with state laws, compliance with local laws and ordinances. That alone is, is more than a full-time job for one person. But then you add in ordering, pricing, HR, recruiting, retaining your staff, taking care of your customers, being aware of what the latest product is, dealing with the hundreds of vendors that you have, you know, from your warehouse to DSD to, to somebody that's, you know, going to clean the snow off your parking lot when it snows. There is so much on a, on a grocer's plate, you wonder how they manage to run that store. And as I tell those stories about how, how much they have to deal with during the day, how competitive the industry is, what their margin is. I, I had one person say, after listening to this, say, who, who would want to run a grocery store? You know, I mean, seriously, you, you think what these guys have to do. And, and then those margins, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, people, and that's the other. People have no idea what the margins are. So, you know, retailers really have a, a massive challenge to to not only maintain what they have, but to keep their eyes open to technology, what they need to do to change and how they need to grow. And I think technology, you know, is, is now going to evolve in recruitment and retention. You know, it's a very competitive market out there for, 
prospective yeah. employees and grocers and others are going to use technology to reach them. Yeah, interesting. And I wonder if inflation is actually going to push people back into the workforce because their expenses are going up, right? That's It's an interesting balancing act there. If prices do go up and inflation you know, drives cost of living up, you can no longer sustain on one job. Then you got to go find that second job or you have to go find work. So I'm wondering if it's a if it's something that's actually balancing this whole trend of people choosing not to work. That's a really good point, Shaker, because just looking at your grocery bill now versus, you know, a few a couple of years ago, it's it's incredible how, you know, it kind of has gone incrementally. So you didn't really yeah, you don't re- re- you don't realize it, but it's gone up. Right. Right. But if you sat down and looked at your your grocery budget, it's much bigger than it was before. It's one of those things where it's kind of it continues to evolve and revolve about what is it, what is the price increase and where is where is it coming from? And I, I I don't think people yet understand that the workforce, and I, I keep going back to this because it's it's really the core of what we're talking about. This absence of a full workforce in, in the supply chain is driving up costs at every step along the way. Here's a penny, here's a nickel, here's a penny, here's a dime. And by the time it gets to retail, where our margins are less than a percent and the net side, it's you at some point they just can't absorb those increases anymore. And they're going to have to pass them on to consumers. And we say that all the time. You know, th- there's just no way that cost increases outside of our control, outside of a grocer's control, can be maintained without being passed on to the customer. So if you don't want to work, you're contributing to a price increase. Sorry, that's the bad news, but you're responsible for it. And until we get people back in this workforce, get back to that efficient model we have, it's going to cost more. There's just no doubt about it. Now, the the thing that frustrates me is when a, a new round of CPI comes out and says, oh, we've got an 8% increase in you know food at home. Food and energy prices are up so high, we're going to have an 8% increase. So the phone rings, the media calls and go, oh, my God, grocery prices are going up 8%. No, they're not. This is not an 8% across the board increase in prices. And so grocers have to educate their customers when somebody comes and says, well, what eight prices are going up 8%? I just heard that on the news. No, they're not. There are some things that are going to go up and some things are going to be stable. So again, we're back to consumer education and, and what does that mean? Again, it's a challenge. I think grocers love to have those customers in their stores so they can explain it. And and yes, Stephanie, you could look at what you spent on groceries a year ago and versus what you're spending today. You know, where where do you point the finger at? Well, there's lots of places you can, but the fact of the matter is we're an economy that's that's struggling. It's going to continue to struggle. People are going to have to continue to eat, so we're going to provide products for them to buy. It's going to cost a little bit more. But until this ship gets turned around, this is this is kind of where we are right now. Again, you know, shoppers though are they're savvy. They're going to look for deals. You're going to go in and, and you know, I don't know the last time you used a coupon, but maybe you're thinking maybe I should use those coupons. I see. Maybe I should maybe I should go digital on my coupons. Maybe I should look for the sale price. Maybe I should you know look what's out there. And customers will do their best to shop at price, uh, but still. There's, there's not much you can do to control it. The government can't control it. They're not going to put price controls on products. That's a, that's a disaster. So they're going to let the marketplace try and work it out. And, and hopefully in our industry, the supply chain can write itself as we go along. And 
be able to, you know, hold the line on pricing. So do you see, Brandon, a future where we see fewer SKUs on the shelves to address some of these supply chain things? And second thing is, how do you think grocery stores should respond to this whole thing to retain their shoppers' loyalty, right? I mean, what can they do? Uh, if I'm a a supermarket retailer listening to this uh, episode, what would you say they should be focusing on to say, hey, how do I keep my existing business? How do I keep my shoppers? How do I keep them happy? Do I have to always focus on more variety or... Because, you know, from an optics perspective, I walk into a store and I see a lot of empty shelves. I might feel like, you know, I might get the wrong impression, right? But at the same time, if the grocer says, hey, I'm going to reduce my SKU count and just make sure that I, I reformat my store to support this reduced SKU count, you know, if you, you got a few varieties of paper towels, but you got plenty of paper towels, right? So uh, I'm wondering, what do you think that grocers can possibly do to retain and retain their customers and make, give them that feeling that everything is going good. One of the things that the pandemic helped grocers educate their customers from products that started to disappear off the shelves. What happened was, is that manufacturers had to make changes in, in what they produced and supplied. My favorite example is the CPG who had 20 lines of laundry detergent said, we're going to make six because these are six best sellers. These others take too long to produce. They have too many ingredients. They're too complicated. So we're going to shelve those for now. So we're going to have six. So that that shelf went from you know twenty to six. So I think shoppers were aware that there were changes in what were being offered by manufacturers. You know, in a reduced they reduced all the variety they had, but they still kept their favorite line of mac and cheese. Then the challenge was, could they get it to put it on the shelves? So now that we're in this position of receiving only, you know, 60, 70, 80% of the load of the order and the shelves aren't full, my sense is, is that it's not that dramatic of a shock to customers because they have been learning gradually that product selection and offerings are changing over time. So it still is it still is a bit of a shock to walk down an aisle and see this line of bread completely full, a half of this line, you know, there and this section completely empty. It's like, why? Why do these guys produce and these guys can't? So it's still trying to figure, you're still trying to figure this out. But from a loyalty standpoint, you know, the customers have remained loyal to their grocers during the pandemic. It was a place of comfort. It was a place they know they could go. They saw the extreme measures that grocers went to to try and safeguard their employees and their customers. So it was gloves, masks, you know, plexiglass, uh, social distancing, all the intensive wipe downs of handles and floors, everything that they did that was visible. You know, I, I walked into a, a grocery store and there was the owner in the front entry of the store spraying and wiping down grocery carts and to the next customer that came and said, I've sanitized this one for you. Well, that goes a long way. You know, I mean, you just, you get that feeling of comfort, you're loyal to that store, you feel like they're taking care of you. So so the pandemic helped, I think, maintain that loyalty and built a little bit more interest. The other issue is, is that if you're frustrated, you walk in the store, they may not have what you're looking for, you go to the next store, they're going to have the same problems. So it's not like 
one store is having this. When it's an industry-wide challenge, customers are going to go, I don't know that I can get anything different. I go down the street to this store. So they may, but if you've got good programs, you know, I always refer to that three-legged stool of, you know, competitive prices, quality products, customer service. If you're hitting those three things, you know, you're hitting the core of what a customer wants. And as long as you can convince them that they're getting the best deal, the best products, and you're saying hi to them when they come in the store, you know, you're going to, you're going to meet it, at least what the competition is doing. How you exceed that is, you know, is the next round of what you do. It's interesting that you try and think, okay, what else can they do? You know, in the past, you might've had a lot of success with sampling and different things that, you know, merchandising things that go in the store. A lot of those things you can anymore. Can you really do that much sampling from a sanitation standpoint, depending on what your local health ordinances are? Grocers going to have to try and figure out how you entice people. You know, what's the, what's the new thing that you can do to get them in the store to make that shopping experience a good experience. Um, but as I said before, I, I always love that line, an uneventful shopping experience, which is a good thing. Brandon, was uh, personalization a topic at, at your event? How so? Marketing personalization, targeted coupons, things like that to get to your customer before another store does, keep your customer engaged with you. Yeah. I, Stephanie, our focus at that show from an educational standpoint, programming three of the five presentations we had from keynote speakers and seminars were a workforce. Mm-hmm. One was multi-generational workforce. How do you manage your 55-year-old and your 15-year-old, and how do you integrate them into, into different departments? Another topic was workforce of the future. Who are they? How do you find them, recruit, and retain them? And then the, the third one was leadership inside of your, of your organization. And so that's really what drove us in this show. The other two were shrink, which is always an issue. So it's an operational piece. And then the fifth thing was cybersecurity. And, and as we talked about, you need to be aware, you need to do something that's going to shut you down. So from the how do you entice the, your customers to come back and keep them loyal, it was not a topic that we happened to address. but when grocers came to the show and met with vendors and retailers, they were presented with all sorts of marketing and merchandising ideas of why this product, whether it's new or whether it's you know, something that they're used to, is good for their store. Demonstrations of uh, you know, merchandising presentations, whether it's from your floral department or you know, from, from a beverage department. You've been to lots of trade shows and that's what they do. So that's the presentation they had. We had our biggest show from a vendor standpoint, for just a statewide association, I think of all time. You know, wow. We were at 150 booths, 151. So for us, that's pretty big. And we're one of the few Midwestern states that still has a, a live active trade show. Um, our floor was, was we had good attendance, but we still had people who, I, I, I joke that I had one, one grocer who had been coming to our show since they were a baby. And... <laughs> Couldn't make it because he and his son were, as he said, they were speed dating their departments because they'd run over to one, they'd run over to Delhi, take care of something there. Then they'd run over, you know, to take something over here. They'd be over to meet them. They'd run outside to get the carts. They'd come back in and help back because they didn't have enough employees to cover that shift, which would allow them to go to the show. So again, it, uh, it's, you know, I, I keep coming back to workforce because it's, it's integrated. The problem is integrated itself in every facet of the business. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So uh, maybe moving to a slightly lighter topic as we come to a close here is 
I see here in one of our talking points that we discussed here before that we got on the show, which is alcohol delivery, right? And I know it's it's shot up and we look at the data in our systems and we see alcohol delivery is one of those things that have just shot up during the pandemic. And clearly that there's probably a downward pressure on bars now in terms of people going out. You know, the bar owners don't want you to get your alcohol at home, but the people want to drink anyway. So do you see the state expanding or changing laws in terms of alcohol delivery and more states kind of opening that up? We do. And, it, and it, it, it's a customer-driven thing. You know from your data that consumption of, of beer, wine, and spirits during the pandemic increased and whether people went to an establishment when they could, when they were open, or if they bought and brought it home. Wisconsin is one of the few states left in the country that does not provide for home-delivered alcohol. We have been pursuing that and pushing that. We've been trying to accommodate those different viewpoints that have some concerns about how do you deal with this situation on a home delivery. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, there's, there's some people in the state that think if we deliver um, those beverages at home, that it's going to shut down their bar. It simply won't. If you want, if you enjoy going to your local bar or supper club or restaurant and having a meal, enjoying a glass of wine, you want to go have, you know, beer and sit with your friends at the bar. You're going to do that. Home delivery of alcohol is not going to cut into that business at all. If you're at home and you want a bottle of wine, you're not going to go to a bar to get it. Right. Period. That's just it's just simple fact. If you want to go see your friends, let's go. Let's go over to you know, let's go over to Stephanie's Bar and Grill and have a beer. You're going to do that, and so, you know, there's this built-in mindset for some of these folks that that they think this is going to harm their business. You know, years ago we passed the we passed the law in Wisconsin that allowed for beer sample for grocers and others with licenses, a little little teeny two ounce you know cup of beer, and you could sip it and taste, and they tell you about it. And I remember at the time somebody testified from a bar owner testified at the time that um, that's going to kill their business. It's going to kill the bar business. It's going to kill my 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 draft business. It didn't. So then we, it, several years later, had a bill to do wine sample, little teeny tiny little plastic cups. Same 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 testimony. It's going to kill my business. Oh my god, it's going to kill my business. Well, it did kill their business because several years later we passed a, a law that allowed for a little even smaller sample of spirits. And they came and said, this is going to kill my business. It's going to kill my business. Well, it didn't kill their business then. They're still in business now. What you know, what hurt their business was the pandemic and the fact that people couldn't go into their bars. It wasn't the fact that us doing a little sampling was going to hurt it. So we believe eventually we will accommodate all of those concerns and all of those positions. We'll work together that the, you know, the combined food and beverage retail experience in Wisconsin will continue to be strong and that customers who want this will be, you know, they will be the ultimate winners because it's something that they want and it's it's part of their shopping needs. But it's gonna take it's gonna take a little while, but we'll get it done. Yeah, yeah. Wow. This this has been a fun conversation. So I think if I were to kind of summarize this, I'd say if you're a grocer out there, you should be listening to your customers because they're gonna be driving some of the changes in your business. And if you turn a blind eye to them, then you're likely to be upstaged by the competition who is listening to your customer, right? And I think, I mean, this has been a wealth of information, Stephanie. It's been fun, right? It has been. I love, I actually really like the focus on workforce because I feel like people aren't seeing that as part of the big picture. Right. And it really is. And there's not a lot of discussion or as much as there should be. 
And I and I agree. I think people think that it's this is happening in isolation, and and uh, there right. are so many things that it actually impacts. It impacts uh, choices of what products you see in the store because it's the same people working in the factories who produce the produce the products. Uh, it's going to accelerate adoption of technology, which might displace jobs. So I think there's just all kinds of ramifications for this that you know we're yet to completely comprehend. Um, but you know, I think you know getting Brandon's input on this and his vantage point has been fantastic. I think people are going to love this episode. To getting this started, Brandon, obviously, you know, we we talk to a lot of people about technology and using data and understanding personalization, and and sometimes you you know it is possible in all that conversation to kind of miss the big picture of guys. Why do we go shopping, right? And I understand the basics of it, and I, I I love how you put it all together. So I want to thank you so much for your time. And uh, we do want to suggest that if you send us your mailing address, we'll send you a, a coffee mug. That we uh, I'll be happy time. to take it and, and I'll replace my Wisconsin grocery There system. you go. Nice. <laughs> uh, I, 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 let me just give you one tagline on, as we go on. When you talk about technology, I would tell you, go to, your, go to a grocery store, talk to the owner and stand in the store with them for a little while and have them and watch them and listen, say hello to their customers. Hi, Bob. You know, hi, Betty, how's it going? And, and, and maybe that's a little bit of small town America, but that will never replace technology. That will never replace anything you can do in the store to bring your customers back. And even in the big city, you know, I mean, think of all those stores that, that just have incredible merchandising programs. They still know their customers. They still stand in the front and welcome people into their doors. And, and I, every time I go to a store, I am truly amazed at, at how often that happens. And, and how well our industry respects their customers. And no amount of technology can ever supersede that. It can support it. Right. And it really is that, that personalized approach that a grocer takes that is just, it's part of our industry. It's part of our DNA. Not many other industries, I think, can come close to it. I completely agree. I, I don't think you can have technology replace a smile and a warm no, the technology gives them the space and time to be able to continue doing that while still remaining competitive. And I think we all know that, you know, we know the grocers, we talk to the grocers and nothing will replace the passion that these people have for what they're doing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, again, for being on the show. And, and like I said, if you send us your address, we'll make sure you get that mug. And, uh, you know, any, any closing thoughts here before we sign off? I'll give you one closing thought. In our show last week, and for the last couple of months, we have had a, a number of people, lots of people nominated for what we called our Supermarket Hero Award. And the Supermarket Hero Award was designed to recognize any extra effort, creative thinking, common sense approach that employees in grocery stores from the, from the manager to the bagger took to help make their business um, better for their customers. It was so overwhelming to recognize these people in their stores and then recognize them at our awards banquet because it wasn't just individual recognition. It was recognition for their whole store, for their industry, for our industry of, of what they did during an experience that nobody ever wants to go through again and nobody had any idea what it was about. And I, I think the more that we can continue to thank and recognize people in this industry for what they did, you know, they didn't get to work from home. <laughs> they had to go to they had to go to work every day. They had to take that risk every single day. 
And I think the more that we can do to thank them, to recognize them, to encourage them to keep up what they're doing is only going to be, it, it only improves our industry and it makes makes our customers happy, the shopping experience happy. So I want to thank you guys for having me on and I appreciate what you do to educate retailers and and uh, help help them run their stores better. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. And I think, you know, on that, those amazing wise words, I think we all need to support our local businesses, our local grocers. And certainly we're very thankful that they continued operating during these tough times and love to see them grow. And and buy more groceries. That's for sure. That's for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Whichever way you do it. Right. (laughs) All right, Brandon. So thank thank you so much again. And guys, uh, again, appreciate you supporting the show. And uh, we're going to be back here next few weeks with some amazing guests. And if you have any questions or if you have certain types of guests, if you want us to get on or questions for our guests, Make sure you email us at uh, the retail perch at birdseye.com. And of course, uh, Stephanie is our show, show producer who's on with us today. So thank you so much, Stephanie. That was fun. Of course. It was. It was a great episode to be on. So, Brandon, thanks for taking me in lieu of Gary Hawkins. Yeah. Right. Hey, th- it, it was great. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, folks. You guys have a great time out there and stay safe. We'll see you soon. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off. 